السلام عليكم ورحمة الله تعالى وبركاته الحمد لله رب العالمين ولا كبة للمتكين الصلاة والسلام على سيد الأنبياء والمرسلين وعلى آله وأصحابه وأزواجه وزرياته أجمعين ومن طبيهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين الحمد لله viewers once again brothers and sisters we are here with the topic and program of end of times and with us today again we are honored to have Shaykh Asrar Rashid. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome once again to End of Times. And we are here with this beautiful topic covering many aspects of Ashratul Sa'a. Uh, we start off with the hadith of Tabrani. Rasulullah said, I warn you of the Dajjal as every prophet warned and among you i describe what they what they didn't was a drought for five years every hoofed animal will perish and the answer the the sahaba asked ya rasulallah how will believers survive let's take this into two parts so every hoofed animal shall perish so as we know every hoofed animal so we've got goats sheep cows they're hoofed, an, hoofed animals. So there's only going to be chicken left, white meat. Uh, the hadith you mentioned is related by Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu an. It has a particular context. It's referring to the Ashratu Sa'a that occur just before his actual appearance, the meaning the individual mm -hmm. Dajjal. And there are many events preceding that particular time. Uh, the, the meaning of the hadith, when it states every hoofed animal, it means the vast majority of hoofed animals will be affected by that drought. It doesn't entail extinction of uh, a particular beast. It doesn't beast. mean extinction. No, no. because okay. then the other hadith, like the hadith narrated by Nawas ibn Sama'an in Sahih Muslim, it mentions that uh, when a Dajjal appears, the individual, he will actually... Uh, of course, this would be what we refer to as istidraj. Hmm in ilmul kalam istiraj meaning allah will enable him allah will create the others to be fatter and the, the the flanks of the camels to be fatter for the bedouins and this will be a fitna a tribulation for the people hmm. where they will end up believing in a dajjal as being god so that entails that the the animals will still be extant they'll be around but uh, the vast majority of the animals will die but it's essential that that hadith the citation of that hadith is given in for, for a few reasons. One of them is that every year you have some Mahdi claimants or people who claim that the Mahdi will appear this particular year. So when we see political events, geopolitical events, uh, like we have today in, the, uh, in this, there will be people making Mahdi predictions. Uh, they will claim that these are prophecies. But this is a false methodology. What I mentioned in the book is that there are signpost signs. That we have signs which are signposts. And those signposts we only know from the hadith of Rasulullah Yes, ilmul kashf, which is spiritual unveilings, is something given credence uh, by Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alludes to it وَعَلَّمْنَاهُ مِنْ لَدُنَّ عِلْمًا in Surah Al-Kahf mm -hmm. regarding Khidr alayhi salam 
that we taught him from our divine presence a particular type of knowledge. Some ulama, have, like Imam Fakhruddin al-Razi and others, have said this refers to what is known as ilm ladunni. It's a real type of ilm. When someone acts upon the sunnah outwardly and inwardly, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uncovers for them through spiritual unveilings many types of uloom. This is without doubt. But it can never contradict uh, the Quran and Sunnah and can never contradict common sense. But when with the false claimants, when they make kashf uh, claims, uh, they contradict common sense. So the Mahdi never appears and then people fall into doubt. They fall into doubt with regard to Ashiratu Sa'a. So the best methodology or the only valid methodology is following the signposts given in the Hadith. So there is a trajectory of number of signs that need to occur. So Previously, we covered the Bedouins constructing tall buildings and the inverted society in terms of the slave girl giving birth to her, uh, her mistress. But post that, we have all these signs in our trajectory, in our signposts that happened pre-Mahdi. And also, Tartibu Ashirati Sa'a is also mm -hmm. essential, the, the order of events. The order of events are sometimes muddled by people. The order of events, uh, some people think that Dajjal will appear first and then um, Al-Mahdi will appear. Or some people think Isa salam, will appear first and then uh, Al-Mahdi. Of course, Al-Mahdi is from the pre-major signs. So before the major signs happen, Al-Mahdi appears. Before Al-Mahdi, there are specific signs. Then post Al-Mahdi, there are the pre-Dajjal signs. So first you have the Mahdi, then post-Mahdi, you have the pre-Dajjal signs. This particular hadith is in reference to the famine that happens pre-Dajjal. In one hadith, it mentions five years of famine. Uh, those five years of famine affect a certain region of the world, not the entire world, because we also have the signs that uh, the rule of Al-Mahdi will be a rule of prosperity. Mm -hmm. So there will be a period of time where there is prosperity within the region of governance of Al-Mahdi. But the world will be affected, meaning climate change, what they refer to as climate change, even though the, the Western framing of climate change is, uh, is not correct because it's utilized by corporations in order to exploit people even further. So mm -hmm. that's not what I'm referring to. I'm referring to uh, global, the global impact uh, created by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala where there will be some type of change to the climate where there will be uh, water shortages. Water shortages are also mentioned. One of the signs of a Dajjal's appearance is actual drying up of rivers, uh, drying up of rivers, drying up of springs, droughts that will occur in the region, really real severe droughts, not the type that we have in certain places like Ethiopia today, real severe droughts that will affect the world. But that is not this year, meaning it's not occurring now. It will occur post Al-Mahdi. So uh, prior to discussing those signs, it's essential we discuss the signs preceding Al-Mahdi, which is also relates to water. Now, if you remember in the first discussion, the very first discussion, I mentioned the, the, river, uh, the lake the of Tiber oh, Tiberias, uh, Tiberias yes, yes. which is known as the Sea of Galilee, upon which Jesus walked. That sea, the drying of that, the last point at which that sea dries is when Ya'juj and Ma'juj appear, mm. the two, two tribes. So the waterbeds, the aquatic 
birds of the world, they need to be observed, meaning a keen and diligent observer of the end of times will keep his eye not only on natural resource plundering, the, the natural resources being plundered by various groups. In one hadith narrated by Al-Imam Al-Hakim in Al-Mustadraq on the authority of Sayyiduna Ali radiallahu anh, there is mention of a ma'adin, precious mineral, being found in the Arabian Peninsula, hmm. which they will refer to as Fir'aun. For some reason they will name it Fir'aun. When they attempt to excavate and extract this natural uh, precious mineral, it's referred to as ma'adin. Uh, the site will cave in on them. So this sign has not occurred. Mm. So a person should all, uh, uh, the keen, diligent observer, the Ashiratu Sa'a will always observe, uh, the, uh, meaning apart from observing geopolitical events, we observe specific signs relating to the end of times. Similarly with the water shortages and the dissipation of the Euphrates River, that the, 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 the water levels will be depleted of the Euphrates River. It will uh, be depleted in the Sahih of Imam al-Bukhari, what is mentioned, Yushiku an yahsira al-furatu jabala min dhahab, that it will happen, Yushiku means it will happen, that the Euphrates River will uncover. The word here, yahsiru, in another variant of the hadith, it's yan hasiru, on the infial scale, yahsiru means an uncovering. So oh, the, had the gold uh, of gold. gold, but it doesn't entail an in total disappearance of the river. Mm. But there is a author of Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu an in the Musannaf of Abdul Razzaq, where the people were taking water out from the Euphrates, and he said there will come a time when you will not be able to even take uh, some water out of the river, meaning depleting the water levels will deplete. Last year in 2023. The water levels did go down. Of course, during winter and autumn and spring, uh, there is a recovery of water due to natural rainfall. Uh, but there are man-made reasons also, uh, the actions of man, like the construction of the Ataturk Dam in Turkey. Dams, irrigation, all of the all other All of these yeah, things yeah, affect yeah. the water levels. Yeah. There have been uncoverings of... Uh, there have been uncoverings of ancient civilizations, paintings, caves, all these things but we await the, the actual gold. Now, with regard to the actual gold, there is also a clash of interpretation. So there are some self-professed eschatologists, people who claim to be experts in this field, they claim that's in reference to the Gulf War, that the, the Gulf War in 1990 and 1991 was, uh, they claim, a war for oil, and therefore uh, it entails that the, the gold referred to in the hadith is the, the Euphrates gold and the war has already occurred. There are a few problematic uh, aspects to this. Number one, the hadith is in Arabic, so you, whenever interpretation is applied to the hadith, we apply the, the methods of uh, linguistic methods of Arabic, which the Arabic rhetoric is taken into account. Majaz, which refers to um, a metaphor, that metaphor of gold being referred to as black gold is not utilized in the time of Rasulullah If you know that black gold uh, in that time was just deemed as a rock uh, that gave off some oil that people would burn and it would give off a smell and they would make 
perhaps only utilize it for oil lamps at the most. It did not have that distinct nature as uh, being something so precious as it is today because of the combustion engine. Mm. And if you remember, you with mentioned the, that, the combustion yes, engine yeah. and the manufacturing of the combustion engine in the 1800s and then how that affected uh, world. Aviation industry, yeah. then the, the, the motor industry, you've, you've spoken about that yes. at length. So uh, yeah. the, the term being utilized for uh, gold as being black gold is not utilized actually in the hadith of Rasulullah so the the um, you mentioned about um, the Euphrates, um, the gold. Yes. So this interpretation of uh, the gold referring to black gold, as in the oil found in uh, the Middle East, in Iraq, in the oil fields. In fact, it cannot. Uh, the hadith cannot be referring to that because the hadith has actually referred to the Iraq war specifically. Mm-hmm. So you have a hadith in the Sahih of Imam Muslim which mentions sanctions on Iraq and it mentions that the sanctions will be placed, the weight and measures of Iraq will be stopped and they, they inquired from Rasulullah who will carry out those sanctions and he mentions a room. But the term a room is utilized. A room in the time of Rasulullah referred to the eastern and western Roman empires, both of them. So what we refer to as the UN Security Council today, even though it consists of China, mm-hmm. but the overall institute is a roomy institute, meaning if you if we utilize terminology from that time, the, the, the UN and its uh, sub-institutes, they all are a room. For instance, the ICJ, International Court of Justice, based in The Hague, is in territories of what was known as a room. So that occurred in 1990 and 1991 mm-hmm. where those sanctions were placed on Iraq and it's very explicit. Then in the Musannaf of Ibn Abi Shayba you have the hadith mentions that one of the signs of a Sha'atu is immigration of people from Iraq to Asham and people from Asham to Al-Iraq. This occurred not only in 1990 and 1991, it occurred in 2003 when uh, Britain and America invaded Iraq. Many Iraqis migrated to Damascus. And then it occurred again in the civil war. In the Syrian civil war yeah. that you had cross border migration. This has never happened in these large numbers in our history. So th- this, those signs have occurred. Also, the Gulf War was uh, from every 199 people did not die. So this war is yet to be expected. Right. Okay. And it's one of the pre-signs of Al-Mahdi. Where does that get mentioned? If you check some of the ahadith works, like I make reference to a book known as Al-Fitan of Nu'aym bin Hamad. Some critics have said, as a point of criticism, that this work is actually weak. Now he's one of the shaykhs of Imam al-Bukhari. He's, he's a thiqa hadith collector. The work itself does contain weak hadith. There's no mm-hmm. doubt on that. But there is a grading of many of those hadith. Many of the hadith are sahih and hasan, meaning acceptable. Yeah. And some of them may be da'if, but they occurred as foretold. Mm. Or okay. they may have corroborative, what in hadith science is referred to as mutaba'ah and shawahid in other hadith resources. But 
what is mentioned by Al-Barzanji and others is very clearly that this sign occurs before the appearance of Imam Mahdi. It's one of the signs pending, meaning it's one of those signpost signs. So people should not make Mahdi predictions every year. This occurs in Sufi cults. Yes, it does. And some, some people will tell you that, or, or tell people that, yes, the Mahdi is already here. I mean, there's certain denominations that believe that Sayyidina Mahdi is, is, is actually hidden away and he will, he so will come out. So the occultation belief yeah. of uh, some of the sects, that occultation belief is based upon their nasus, meaning their textual implications, which mm -hmm. they ascribe to uh, imams that we venerate as well. Yes. But uh, the problem is we do not accept those narrations because of the, the sourcing and the hadith methodology that they actually have. Nevertheless, in our Sunni hadith literature, you do not find the occultation belief. Uh, secondly, the Sufi groups that claim that they know of the whereabouts of the Mahdi, uh, those Sufi cults may do that sometimes in order to entice the cult members into believing that their sheikh has specific knowledge re relating to that. But when it turns out false, it leads to uh, disbelief among some of them, disbelief in the Mahdi. Uh, the only methodology that the Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah must follow is the methodology of following the Sunnah direct. That when the Sunnah foretells that specific signs will happen, like another sign which is mentioned at, on the year of the appearance of Al-Mahdi, is that an army from Syria, from Asham, greater Syria, of a ruler, an Arab ruler, will enter the Hijaz and will violate the city of Al-Madinah Al-Munawwara. Similar to what Yazid, the army of Yazid did, led by Muslim bin Uqba, when they ransacked Harra Sharqiyah and Harra Gharbiyah, events that I mentioned in the book. You mentioned that three days there was no Adhan in the Masjid al-Nabawi. Um, there, uh, there was a rape of, uh, of women where a thousand... Uh, 700 uh, Sahaba were killed. 700 martyred. Sahaba were killed, a thousand children were born uh, as a result of the rape that you mentioned in the book. Um, I mean, uh, such a, a major atrocity in the carried out city, by Yazid. But carried out by Yazid in, in the blessed city of Madinah al-Munawwara. But I just want Meaning to... Meaning on the orders of Yazid. On the orders of Yazid. Uh, yes. So, uh, what, ha what will occur, an army from Great Syria will enter al-Madinah al-Munawwara. And then when they leave, intending to go to Makkah al-Mukarramah, the Hadith mentioned they will be swallowed up in an area uh, which is mentioned as al-Bayda. Mm. Now you do a Google map check of Al-Bayda, it's actually a region of quicksand. Mm. It's a quicksand area. And this event has not occurred. So, so uh, now Juhayman al-Utaybi, when, when he claimed to have known the identity, remember this is not only Sufi groups. Juhayman al-Utaybi ascribed to the Salafi sect. And his uh, teachers included Nasruddin al-Albani, Muqbil al-Wadi'i, mm -hmm. even though they did not ascribe to his particular interpretation, but the point of mentioning that is that this cultic interpretation of some of the Asharatu Sa'a is not unique to the Sufi groups. It's found within, it's across the board. Right. So what happened is Juhayman al-Utaybi, when he caused the, uh, he carried out those events in Makkah al-Mukarramah, in al-Masjid al-Haram, he was awaiting at that particular point, for an army to appear from Asham to enter Al-Madinah Al-Munawwara. Now, this is problematic in many ways, 
in one way which has pointed out that he is misinterpreting the hadith but also in terms of aqidah and belief that we as Muslims do not believe we will bring out we will bring about the events of end of times this is actually a methodology of Zionist Christians in the Christian Bible Belt Zionist Christians believe that by supporting the, the state uh, of Israel they will bring about the end of times and that is actually a qadari type of belief mm. that you create your own actions and you bring about the end of times so that's another major fallacy that so many people fall into they believe by carrying out certain things they will bring about the end of days we as Muslims we do not believe that we will bring about the end of times it's prophecies that will occur as Rasulullah sallallahu had foretold events that will unfold by the will and might of Allah and also we should not wish for certain signs of the end of times to occur because they entail fitna and fitna is tribulation and tribulation is under iman meaning it entails weakening of the iman so those signs that occur before al-mahdi include the drying up of the euphrates the appearance of a golden treasure al-imam jalaluddin suyuti in his commentary on a tirmidhi he mentions it's a kanz a treasure while others uh, go by the position that it's actual gold uh, uh, or gold reserves natural gold reserves mm -hmm. found in the in the bedrock of the of the river some people in order to refute this they say because we live in the day and age of uh, atheism where people will reject hadith and hadith rejectors also they say if a mountain of gold existed in the euphrates all it takes is radar checking uh, through radar and other modern technology to find that gold what is the response to that firstly no one has actually carried out an extensive search of the Euphrates River as far as I know mm -hmm. no extensive scientific research uh, has been carried out to f uh, through radar or anything else to find any deposits of gold large deposits of gold secondly the term Jabal I mean Dahab is utilized but Jabal here even a small hillock is referred to as Jabal like we say uh, as Safa and Marwa. Al Marwa yeah. are mountains but if you look at them the small hills, uh, hillocks of uh, rock very small that means that there's a deposit of gold somewhere and who said it entails that an actual mountain the uncovering of a mountain means that you will mountain. find like a Mount Everest or yeah. even uh, the, the K2 or something like that even the mountains that you have in, in Wales yeah meaning it doesn't entail that it means a deposit of gold will be found so Jabal I mean Dahab that is the meaning of the hadith is very clear from the hadith yeah. so that is in order to refute hadith rejectors people who who object to these hadith they make fallacious arguments so as in what you're saying it doesn't have to be a huge mountain uh, to contain that gold it could be a small hill which is referred to as you say as uh, a depository covered yeah. perhaps by soil okay so uh, currently as we speak during the Syrian civil war yeah uh, much of the 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 bedrock of the Euphrates River is utilized the soil is rich mm -hmm. in minerals so companies uh, corporations are utilizing the soil of the Euphrates and digging the, the, the bottom of the Euphrates also there are many things going on in that region yeah okay so what I I, I want to move on to when you mentioned earlier about um, the claimants of uh, prophethood, false claimants of prophethood. Um, 
you clearly set out in the book the um, Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu anh, his, radiallahu anh. Uh, the way he, he conducted uh, the two and a half years of his uh, Khilafah and particularly on the issue of um, Musaylma al-Kadhab um, and you detailed how he claimed prophethood and then he went on to marry Saja um, and then the battle of Yamama occurred. The uncle of the Prophet والسلام, uh, Sayyidina Amir Hamza radiallahu an, uh, Asadullah Asadullah Rasul was uh, tragically martyred in such a horrific manner in the battle of Uhud and to expiate and, and to cover that that uh, that horrific event the the um, Wahshi, the Wahshi who we now say he's a Sahabi he's a Sahabi and he was given the freedom by uh, by uh, the Hind, 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 the yes, wife, uh, uh, say, Hazrat uh, uh, Sufyan, uh, Abu Sufyan, Abu yeah. Sufyan, radiallahu and his 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 wife, and um, during their disbelief, during their disbelief, of course, but he wanted to cover that, and he went and even though Islam expiates his oh. sins, he he was he was forgiven. The Prophet said to him, "Don't come in front of me. You're forgiven. You've accepted Islam, but just you remind me of my uncle." But then. It was still in his heart that he needed to do this. He needed to get it out of his system as uh, as the some... Uh, so he killed the best of people, Hamza radiallahu Allahu Akbar. And then, he, and then the worst. Then he killed the worst of people. Allahu Akbar. So Yamama, you mentioned the, the battle of Yamama and then the, the this marriage of convenience that occurred between Musaylma Kadhab and uh, Sajjah, who she claimed as a prophetess. She claimed to be a prophetess. Now, Tuleha was uh, defeated by Khalid ibn Walid radiallahu and he accepted Islam later. So you had, he was one who claimed prophethood in the time of the Prophet Along with Musaylima. Along with Musaylima Kazab. And these two were witnessed in a dream as bracelets. Allah. And then Rasulullah was instructed to recite something from which the bracelets came off. Allah. And the interpretation was given by Sayyiduna Rasulullah So what I cover here is the hadith relating to false claimants to prophethood. And again, as I mentioned, that there is a timeline. So you have from Musaylama, which is a, a, a strange period. But you, if you remember, I also covered the likes of Muqanna, yes. the veiled one. Yes. Who, who and also you covered uh, Aswad al-Ansi. Yes. Who, who was killed shortly. Who was uh, also a trickster. Yes. He trained a donkey to bow down to him. Uh, and prostrate he, to him. And, and yeah. Al-Muqanna was also a trickster. He would wear a mask and he had placed within a well, water well, a, a, reflection, a reflector that at Fajr time, when the sun would, would shine down into the well, the reflection would come onto the mask that Al-Muqanna was wearing and people would believe that he has some kind of divine powers. Mm. He would carry out such trickery that he was able to replicate the moon from, ref from tricks uh, in the sky and carry out certain tricks. Yes. So the Muqanna then led a whole movement against the, the caliphate at the time and he was crushed eventually. This was just within the time of Banu Umayyah. Mm -hmm. 
So you had these, and there was also Mukhtar al-Thaqafi, who initially took revenge for Sayyiduna al-Imam al-Hussein radiyallahu an. And I would want to mention with regard to Sayyiduna al-Imam al-Hussein radiyallahu an, there are some people who ascribe to me that I do not believe in uh, visiting the shrine of Sayyiduna al-Imam al-Hussein radiyallahu an. This is false. It's in fact recommendable to visit all the burial places of all the Sahaba Ali Muridwan. And of course, Sayyiduna al-Imam al-Hussein radiyallahu an has a high station, higher than so many station in terms of fadila, virtue, that the Ahlul Bayt have a virtue over all the companions in specific regards. In specific regards. So Sayyiduna Al-Imam Hussein radiallahu an, what I state is that people should visit his shrine in Egypt because why I mentioned the validation of the shrine in Egypt is because there is an actual history of Salahuddin al-Ayyubi Rahimullah authenticated that specific shrine. Mm -hmm. Now some people dispute it. So the Salafis will dispute the authentication of that shrine. But Al-Imam Abdul Wahhab al-Sha'rani mentions that Sidi Ali al-Khawas Rahimullah Ta'ala mm -hmm. he authenticated that through Kashf. Now that's not a proof in itself. But there is uh, there are works written regarding Al-Ashraf the household of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam which uh, one of the works which uh, Darul Minhaj published they mentioned the history of how uh, Salahuddin al-Ayyubi validated the authenticity the, uh, of the shrine of Imam Hussein radiallahu an which is found in Egypt today so that is uh, the context of my statement so okay. Sunni Muslims should Go to that uh, shrine near Al Azhar Al Sharif. Al Azhar is the Sun is is the main. So if you talk about the marakis of Ahl Sunnah Al Jamaa, the primary markaz of Ahl Sunnah Al Jamaa is Makkah Al Mukarrama, where we, we have Makki ulama, yes. the likes of the family of Sayyid Alawi Al Maliki, rahimahullah. That's one family, but there are numerous. Second is Al Ahsa. Al Ahsa is the markaz of Ahl Sunnah Al Jamaa in the world. You have all four madhabs within Al-Ahsa, which is in modern-day Saudi Arabia. You also have, uh, uh, without saying Al-Madin Al-Munawwara, but also you have the city of Damascus, where the, the foremost, the most learned ulama of our time, and all in every age, Sultan Al-Ulama, Al-Izz bin Abdul Salam, and you also mentioned, you mentioned that the Abdal of, uh, of, of Sham. Yes, Greater Sham. The Greater Sham, yeah. So uh, uh, Sultan al-Ulama, Al-Izz bin Abdul Salam, he mentions that the Ulama of Sham will always be the leading Ulama of every age because of the Dua, Allahumma barik lana fi shamina, which Damascus is specified with Al-Quds al-Sharif as the dominant region. There are narrations which mention that the most Zuhad, zuhad uh, people who avoid worldly possessions, are found in Damascus. So then one, one of the major marakis of Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah is Al-Azhar al-Sharif. Without doubt, despite uh, Al-Azhar and its political affiliations at times, but in terms of its historicity and its continuous presence of valid Sunni ulama in recent history, the likes of Al-Imam Mutawalli al-Sha'rawi rahimahullah. So the shrine of Al-Imam al-Hussein radiallahu an, the Sufis have 
validated it, like Imam Abdul Wahab al-Sha'rani and Sidi Ali al-Khawas. But of course, Salahuddin al-Ayyubi had some history, uh, which uh, if you read some of the books on the Ashraf, they mention the historical nature of that. So it's important for me to mention that. You, you mentioned, you clarified that, but still with, with Karbala, uh, with, with the love uh, of uh, the horrific and brutal uh, shahada of Sayyidina Imam Al-Hussein the, on the plains of Karbala, I think people still have that love and they want to pay homage and tribute and they want to maybe attend that place uh, with that love that they have. I mean, Some brothers, they you... contacted me in order yeah. to uh, correct me on this issue, Barakallahu Feem, that the thing is that if someone visits the plains of Karbala in order to uh, see the history uh, of how the Ahlul Bayt, they were, uh, as I mentioned, Yazid. Now, with Yazid, uh, the Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah position, Imam Ahmed bin Hanbal very clearly permits the la'an on Yazid, the, the yes. cursing of, of Yazid. Course. Of course. Uh, there's no doubt. Now, what Imam Abu Hamid al-Ghazali, rahimahullah ta'ala, mentions, that a person should not excessively curse Yazid. Some people even, uh, they attacked Imam Ghazali. Uh, Imam Ghazali is not saying that. What he is saying, that the common Muslim, rather than spending time in doing la'an, yeah. he should spend time in doing dhikrullah, which will benefit him. He, he's not in any way uh, condoning Yazid in any way or form, meaning Sunni ulama have never taken that position. That has never been a Sunni position. So if someone visits Karbala in order to see the historical aspect, uh, this is absolutely fine. But what I was mentioning in context yeah. was with regard to avoiding the bid'ah of the rawafid. Mm. That our expression of love for Imam Hussein should have no rift it should have no rift whatsoever. But it does not entail that association with Imam Hussein or remembering the events of Karbala or mentioning the... Uh, I would also like to say that we should emphasize Imam Hassan radiallahu yeah. who was also martyred. He was martyred, he was shaheed. So they you mentioned that in the book. I just wanted to just touch upon that. Um, the... Rawafi's opinion on that is that he was poisoned by his wife. The Ahl-Sunnah opinion in some, by some scholars is that when Sayyidina Imam Al-Hussein asked him that my dear brother tell us who it was and he remained silent. But you've mentioned in the book uh, clearly said that uh, He's, he was poisoned, he's yes. poisoned by Yazid. So why I mentioned that yeah. is that what was clear was that he was poisoned but what some ulama state, he did not actually express who had poisoned him. But I ascribe it to Yazid because some of the ulama do mention that the person behind the poisoning was Yazid, but the, the agent of Yazid was unidentified. So some attempted to identify the agent of Yazid. So, so behind the whole thing, it was you're saying it was Yazid who uh, took on somebody else to carry out the poisoning. Yes. But that person was not identified. That's the position of some of the Sunni ulama. Also, okay. with regard to Imam al-Hassan al-Hussein radiallahu anhumah and the shaykhin, yeah. Sayyiduna Abu Bakr and Sayyiduna Umar radiallahu anhumah, the Ahl-Sunnah wal-Jama'ah position and how I was trained by my teachers 
is that we do not have a ghulu for any one individual. We love them all and we praise them all. Alhamdulillah. So if there, there is a gathering of people praising Sayyiduna Ali radiallahu an, they mention all the merits of Sayyiduna Ali radiallahu an. There should not be any insecurity in any Sunni Muslim that these people who are mentioning the merits of a Sahabi, Sayyiduna Ali radiallahu an in this case, that we need to mention the merits of another Sahabi because we feel that the other Sahabi is being undermined. Mm. This is something that is happening now in Pakistan prevalent, and India where they have a position that if you praise one Sahabi, it undermines another. You can have a, a gathering in praise of one Sahabi, it doesn't undermine another Sahabi, any mm. Sahabi. So that is the Sunni position. So that our positions on the Ahlul Bayt are very clear. Uh, and as I mentioned, that some people misconstrued my statement as saying you should not visit the shrine of Imam Hussein. Yeah. That is not what I am saying. I'm, if that were the case, within the same clip, I'm saying to people to go and visit the shrine in Cairo. In Cairo. Yeah. But if they say yeah. to me, the, with regard to the authenticity of the shrine of Imam Hussein in Karbala, because they said the, the body of Imam Hussein, radiallahu anh, if that is authentic, then there is no prohibition of visiting the, the body of Imam Hussein. But that's a discussion with the ulama with regard to the authentication of that particular shrine. If that is actually proven yeah. uh, that the shuhada are buried there. And the Shia will have uh, agreement on that, that they are buried there. The Sunnis, there is a... Ikhtilaf. Uh, there, there is ikhtilaf. Yeah. Now, if someone takes that view, that is not what I, what I am mentioning in that context. Okay. As we're on the topic of Yazid, uh, you mentioned in the book that Yazid pulled the wool over his father's eyes. He, he feigned piety to, in front of Sayyidina Amir Muawiyah he feigned piety. Now, how is it possible for that some people, uh, in fact a lot of people in this day and age, the crux of the argument that's put forward in the time of uh, Muharram mainly is that um, he was appointed by Sayyidina Amir Muawiyah and Sayyidina Amir Muawiyah and he knew exactly how his son was even so renegade on the on the agreement that he had of sulh with uh, Sayyidina Imam Hassan and even then he appointed him in his place Otherwise so, he could have done that. So how did he feign? You mentioned feign piety in front of his father. How can one do that? So uh, with regard to the accession of Yazid, yeah. firstly the agreement with Sayyiduna Al-Imam Al-Hasan was that after Muawiyah passes away, Sayyiduna Al-Imam Al-Hasan will succeed and be Khalifa. Mm -hmm. So this term Khalifa really is a Sunni term meaning the Shia do not accept that particular uh, position of Khilafa. They have Imama. But Sayyiduna Imam Hassan radiallahu an was martyred 10 years prior to the passing away of Muawi radiallahu One thing that's important to mention is both in Shia and Sunni sources, Imam Hassan and Imam Hussein radiallahu anhuma would visit Muawi radiallahu anhu in Damascus and they would have dinner with him and he would give them 
200,000 gold co uh, silver coins, a, a, a gift that he would not give anyone else, 200,000 silver coins. This would occur at least once a year. This is found in Shia and Sunni sources. So there was that relationship between the Ahlul Bayt post, of course, the civil war. There was the civil war with Sayyiduna Al-Imam Ali radiallahu an. Fair enough, but people who will counter that with an argument that say, well, he didn't give it from his personal wealth. He didn't give it from his personal pocket. Well, if it, it was from the, from the Baytul Mal, the Ahlul Bayt were people who would be allocated that type of wealth. Like Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu had allocated wealth for the people of Badr. But if he, if he was a tyrant of some sort, he would not have allocated that for the Ahlul Bayt. Meaning, the Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah consistently look after Al-Ashraf Sayyids to the point that in our tradition we have Naqib Al-Ashraf. Naqib Al-Ashraf is someone who checks the births of any Ashraf Sayyids who are born in families and preserves them. This is important because in the Indo-subcontinent you have had false claimants of being Ashraf. It, it's very important because yes. locally speaking I've encountered people who claim to be a Sharaf and then later it, it, it is discovered that the person is not actually from the Sharaf. Because post-Caliphate, the, the, the Naqib al-Ashraf system is non-existent in many places. So people can claim to be Sharif or Sayyid and then they carry out acts which leads people to being Nawasib, mm. Na'udhu Billah, yeah. cursing Sayyids, attacking Sayyids, Ashraf. Some people hide behind the, the shield of being a Sayyid when in reality they perhaps are not Sayyid or do not behave like a Sayyid. Now this so Naqib al-Ashraf system... People will take the, the dividends of a Sayyid. They'll take the benefits and the, the profits of a Sayyid. I mean, not just in, in worldly terms. They will be answerable to Allah. Yeah. But remember, the Naqib al-Ashraf, it's so difficult to determine that in Damascus, I know of a case where there is a person who most likely is a Sharif. Hmm. But the Naqib al-Ashraf today, because they have a real system in place, the Naqib al-Ashraf disputes their lineage. That is a proper system in Damascus. Yes. But we do not have that in the Indo-subcontinent. Even here in Britain, there are people who become Rawafid in belief, and we know through their background that they are not Ashraf, but later they will claim to be Ashraf. Now, the going back to the, the subject of Imam uh, Al-Hasan radiallahu an and uh, Muawiyah uh, radiallahu an. Muawiyah radiallahu an, when Imam Al-Hasan had passed away, was of the opinion that his son should succeed him. This was his ijtihad. Mm -hmm. And he consulted people with regard to this. Even knowing that he was, he was a fornicator, he was a, a, an alcohol, alcoholic, he was a... a that a was not clear at the time. So these, these, these things would have to be proven that the father was aware of the fasiq nature of his son. So a man, that who's, is not a man who's ruling over 22,000 square miles, when his duty was supposed to have been the knowledge of what's happening in Egypt, in modern-day Libya, as far east as uh, as far west as Morocco, and as far east as China, as the 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 king, the Malik, because 
I mean, it wasn't a Khilafah. Uh, it was a Khilafah. Uh, Sayyidina Amir Muawiyah, you're, you're now you, you, you're saying that he was a Khalif? So how Khilafah functions is that, remember the 1200 year stretch of Caliphate up to Sultan Abdul Hamid of Thani Rahimallah mm -hmm. in 1908. That is referred to as a Khilafah in the sense of the fiqh terminology that is utilized. But so didn't the Prophet it, it, say it would be 30 years? Yes, so that's referred to as Al-Khilafa ala manhaj al-Nabuwa, mm -hmm. Caliphate on the prophetic methodology. The, the other Caliphate is in reference to succession and implementation of Islam, at least theoretically. So in that sense, it's Khilafa. But he declared himself as a king in terms of Malukiya, in terms of succession. Success, uh, successorship uh, became uh, a form of nepotism and the progeny succeeded their fathers. So nepotism fathers. was that he, um, so he, what he happened, appointed uh, his son Yazid. What happened at that point, at the time of succession, was that he attempted to finalize the bay'ah, the oath of allegiance with Ahlul Halli wal Aqd. Now Ahlul Halli wal Aqd are the people who unite and bind the caliphate. And that bay'ah, that, that oath of allegiance was not actually finalized. And when he died, Yazid attempted to finalize the oath. Mm. And that is why the message was then dispatched to uh, three people in particular, Abdullah bin Umar, Abdullah bin Zubair, Al-Hussein, radiyallahu anhum. And that letter reached Al-Madina Al-Munawwara and that incident is mentioned in Al-Bidaw and Nihaya. Each one decided to carry out a different initiative. Abdullah bin Zubair decides to go to Makkah Al-Mukarramah where he formulates his own caliphate. And then Al-Imam Al-Hussein radiallahu an, he embarks to Karbala on the behest of the people of Karbala, uh, uh, people of Al-Kufa. Of course, Karbala was not his destination, his destina intended destination was Al-Kufa, famous in, uh, story and history. And then Abdullah bin Umar decides to remain in Al-Madina Al-Munawra. This was all ijtihad on, on the part of all three Sahaba. Abdullah bin Zubair, he then establishes an oath of allegiance. Now, if the oath of allegiance had been finalized for Yazid, Abdullah bin Zubair would not have declared himself as Khalifa. So that means what Muawiyah radiallahu an intended to make his son the Khalifa, but he did not finalize the bayah. It was not finalized. Hmm. So that is from the early history, the, what I cover on the history of... So does of, that not cover His intention was there. So he will be judged on the intention. Of course, every Sahabi uh, is judged, but he, the successor was not a kafir at the time, meaning mm. Yazid was not a kafir at the time. At that particular time, no one had declared him a kafir. He was a believer. So the shurut of a khalifa were fulfilled, which are what? That the person be from Quraysh. Now, the, the, by the way, the Ottomans not being from Quraysh, I addressed that in the book as mm -hmm. well. But... Uh, the, uh, the, the according to Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah, mm. uh, because the Khawarij and the Mu'tazila oppose this, that the Khalifa should be from Quraysh, he be sound of mind, he be healthy, fit and healthy, and he have uh, the requisite knowledge of governance, which is he be from Ahlul Ijtihad in governance. If he does not have those requisite uh, tools for Ijtihad, then the people around him, those who surround him, the Majlis Shura, so those shurut ostensibly were fulfilled in Yazid. 
So that is ijtihad, that a person can make khata, mistake in ijtihad. So his ijtihad, people can say that this Sahabi made khata in his ijtihad in, with this, in this regard. And we leave the case to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is the position of Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah and has remained consistently. So that, the book covers the, the first hundred years. Yes, it does. And I, I, I want to touch upon two important uh, contentious issues that are, are regularly brought up in the circles of Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah, uh, where allegations and various comments are thrown from both sides. The battles of Safin and the battle of Jamal that you covered in your book um, in, uh, in depth. The battle of Safin when Sayyidina Uthman ibn Affan and he's martyred Sayyidina Ali ibn Abi Talib and you write in that uh, in the book that uh, when Ali ibn Abi Talib he came and he slapped his son and hit his other son on the chest and said what have you done why why did you allow this to happen immediately after Sayyidina Amir Muawiyah he wanted the kisas for the martyrdom of Uthman ibn Affan because they were closely related. Now he is the governor in uh, in Sham at the time. Sayyidina Ali ibn Abi Talib, he's trying to consolidate and he's trying to uh, consolidate the Khilafah, take the bay'ah, as you've mentioned, that uh, once the bay'ah is done, then we will come to the matter of Kisas. Sifin, how many Sahaba were killed? Who was on the haqq? When the Prophet says, Al-Haqq ma Ali wa Aliyun ma Al-Haqq The truth lies with Ali and Ali lies with the truth. And how do you... How do you There's no that? doubt that the truth is with Sayyidina Ali radiallahu anhu. That is the, the consistent position of Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah. The Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah, the Sunni position with regard to the Sahaba Ali Muridwan, which commonly, there are many fallacies that are made widespread amongst the Shia community. One of them is that the Sunnis believe the Sahaba are ma'asum. This is false. Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah do not hold the Sahaba as being ma'asum. Mm -hmm. We uphold Adalatu Sahaba. Adalatu Sahaba entails that the Sahaba do not concoct a lie with regard to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa following the order of man kathaba aliyya muta'amidan Whoever lies upon me purposely, then let him take his seat in hellfire. No Sahabi lies with regard to Rasulullah So what is of interest, firstly this was a fitna. The very nature of fitna is confusion. What is of interest during that fitna, firstly the Nawasib, those who disparage the Ahlul Bayt, they, find, they do fault finding with Sayyidina Ali radiallahu which we as Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah do not highlight because we do not agree with those positions. Mm -hmm. In fact, we ref if those positions ever raise their heads, we refute those positions. But we have consistency because similar type of objections are made with regard to the Shaykhain and then at the tail end, Muawiyah, radiallahu mm anhum. And we consistently respond to those objections also. But what we observe during that civil war is that the brother of Sayyidina Ali radiallahu he joins the side of Muawi radiallahu anhu, Aqil bin Abi Talib. Mm. Now for us Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah, Aqil bin Abi Talib radiallahu anhu is from the Ahlul Bayt. 
Because in the Hanafi school, for instance, there are five families that are deemed as the Ahlul Bayt that we cannot give zakatul amwal to. So the family of Aqil is included in that. And Aqil is the, the father of whom Muslim bin Aqil, whom Sayyiduna Al-Imam Hussein radiyallahu an dispatches to Al-Kufa. So Aqil radiyallahu an, he joins Muawiyah radiyallahu an. Now some of them respond to that by saying he joined the side of Muawiyah because he held him accountable for a debt. But we do not hold such a low position. We do not hold the Ahlul Bayt members with so such low esteem, meaning they have high esteem in our eyes. So we do not believe that Aqil bin Abi Talib would join the side of Muawiyah based on for wealth. For sum. Yes. Yeah. The brother of Sayyidina Ali radiallahu an, a Sahabi hmm. of high esteem, the, uh, the brother of Ja'far al-Tayyar radiallahu hmm. an, the son of Abu Talib, why would he take such a position? It's only because of confusion. But what's important for people to notice is our position with regard to Adalatu Sahaba. What that means, they do not lie about Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So during that fitna, which is also a sign of the end of times, not a single Sahabi forged a hadith with regard to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. I would say Sifin brought out for the world the fact that no Sahabi ever forges a hadith. Why? Thousands of Sahaba were on the side of Muawiyah radiallahu an, yet not a single Sahabi comes out with false hadith. Mm. Hundreds of them could have forged a hadith against Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu an. Not a single one made a false hadith regarding him. In fact, they narrated the hadith in his virtues. So when uh, Al-Imam Ahmad bin Hanbal says, there is no Sahabi with no more hadith in, with regard to his virtues than Ali bin Abi Talib, do you know why that is? That is because of the Battle of Sifin. Because that fitna led to Muawiyah in his gatherings, mm-hmm. ordering the likes of Abdullah bin Abbas mm-hmm. to narrate the hadith of Ali bin Abi Talib because there was some misguided Bani Umayyah around Muawiyah who would curse Sayyiduna Ali to reprimand On the orders them. of Muawiyah? No. It's not proven from Sunni literature okay. that he ordered this. That's not proven in any authentic narration. He ordered that. That's not proven. In fact, Abdullah bin Abbas is commanded to narrate the hadith on the Fadail. Now, later on, the Banu Umayyah did curse Sayyiduna Ali radiallahu an on the mimbar, and that was stopped by Abdullah bin Umar. But it is not proven that Muawiyah actually commanded that to occur. The li- common sense logic, the likes of Abdullah bin Abbas, who we also regard in high esteem, the cousin of the Prophet, the cousin of Ali. Why would he sit in the majlis of Muawiyah if Muawiyah was like Fir'aun according to them? Mm-hmm. Why would he sit in those gatherings? and converse with him and even be a part of his majlis to shura, body of consultation. And this is after the civil war. Yeah. So that means the sulh, like I mentioned, if Imam al-Hassan radiallahu anh, Imam al-Hussein radiallahu anh, they dined with this man, they took money from the man as a gift from the Baytul Mal, or wherever the wealth came from, because he was wealthy. Mm-hmm. And then 
Likewise, the likes of uh, Sayyiduna Abdullah bin Abbas anhuma, associated with him, then that remained the consistent Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah position in accordance with the Sunnah because Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Inna ibni hadha Sayyidun. Mm. This son of mine is a Sayyid. And what will this Sayyid do? He'll unite between two factions of warring Muslims. Mm. So, of course, that is covered in the book. And it's from the, the Ashratu Sa'a, as you mentioned, Sughra. Yeah. These are the signs that have transpired. These are the ones that have transpired. Uh, mashallah, um, I, 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 we're coming to the end of the uh, program. And I, I want to continue with the, uh, the signs, uh, Ashratu Sa'a, um, in the next episode, inshallah. Uh, sadly, we've run out of time today. Uh, I'd like to thank uh, Sheikh Asrar Rashid once again. Uh, for joining us here and I want to thank you uh, brothers and sisters for watching sharing and commenting on the program uh, do forward any questions that you do have inshallah we will endeavor to include them in the future programs in fact at the end of the series we will have a question and answer uh, program to finalize the whole series in which some of your questions will be taken inshallah and the answers will be given by Sheikh Asra Rashid. Uh, Jazakallah, Sheikh, for giving your time once again. Um, and thank you to the viewers. Look after yourselves and your loved ones. Till next time. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.